0: T'was the night before Christmas when all through the land, Fox News warned its viewers of a dastardly plan. The liberals were launching their war on the season to get rid of Christmas and commit acts of treason, removing decorations out of their sight and telling you that Santa and Jesus ain't white. Environmentalists will come right after your soul. They hate all things Christmas, especially the coal. They'll sneak in your house all dressed in their flannel and instead give the bad kids some new solar panels. They'll take up all decorations that please us. They'll even go after tiny baby Jesus. Now all these fox lies caused such a frustration. Who would save us all from this misinformation? When live from the net, there came lots of chatter. Could it be old Saint Nick, or perhaps someone fatter? Broadcasting from New Orleans down in Louisiana, it was none other than Liberal Dan, coming to save the holiday season, busting through their lies with facts, logic, and reason. But I cannot do it myself, he exclaimed, so we called other groups, each one by name. On Christians, on Muslims, on Wiccans, on Jews, on Hindus, on Buddhists, and atheists too. Let's all spread the word and tell them indeed that there's no war on Christmas, just one on greed. So instead of joining this manufactured
1: fight, listen to Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left, that's right.
0: To Liberal Dan Radio, to Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, we are live here on Blog Talk Radio and YouTube.com slash Liberal Radio. Um, I would say uh, live tonight, but we're also live tomorrow morning. Uh, because without further ado, let us welcome to the show uh, our special guest of the evening, Phil Itner. Philip Itner, how are you tonight? I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. Um, just for uh, for those of people who might be watching either live or after the show, who might not know, um, you know, what you what you do over in Ukraine. Just give us a, a reason, like why you're over mm-hmm. there, what you're doing over there. Just give a
2: little thirty thousand sure overview well, of, of what you I, do over uh... there. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a network uh, television producer and uh, uh, correspondent for many years and uh, um, was, was kind of leaving the business for a variety of different reasons. But uh, along came this war, and um, I have been coming to Ukraine for 21 years and uh, really feel a strong connection to the country. And so decided uh, I could not sit it out as much as I was trying to get out of um, from doing the journalism and war reporting. And so I came over and have been here uh, for the better part of the entire war with a brief period where I kind of popped back home for a, for a short visit, but uh, I was originally based in Lviv. And then... Once we kind of figured out the lay of the land here and what was happening, uh, I moved over to Kiev, where I am now. All right, sounds good. Now, just to rehash what I said earlier, because
0: my mic was not streaming to uh, over to YouTube, um, and if you could turn off, mute the Muta, uh, YouTube stream on your side, that would be that would be good if you could, because I'm getting some feedback on it. But um, Again, liberal day radio here. I'm I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, but we have Philip Bittner going uh, talking to us live from Ukraine, and we're going to be discussing all of what's going on over there and and why it's important and maybe what we're not hearing uh, about over here in the states where um, where are we where you know where we should be what what needs to be known that what is not already being known I guess is the best way to put it so. Um mm-hmm. what are some of the things that uh have you that you have you seen from like the United States coverage of what's going on over there that you
2: aren't seeing then that, that should be said? well I think fundamentally and and first and foremost it's the lack of any context and it's the lack of any depth of understanding of the complexity of this country um Certainly I don't see that in broadcast news, uh and even really in print, uh, although there are some exceptions. And there are some exceptions on broadcast uh on the broadcast side as well. But by and large the foreign press doesn't understand Ukraine. Um the the, the deep the the deep, deep history uh that has brought us to this point. Uh this war has been centuries in the making um, the question of who controls the uh, stretch of land between the Adriatic and the Black Sea has been this this stretch of land where empires have kind of crossed through as they've as they've tried to strike at one another, and uh, Ukraine has been a victim of that as well, but then add to that that it's really the kind of crown jewel in the Russian Empire and that the the Russians are are loath to let it go and um, This is in many ways a country that um, After you know centuries of being abused by greater powers has decided that it's no longer going to allow itself to be a vassal state and uh, is trying to forge a new future of its own with self-determination and creating some sort of democracy here we'll have to see how that goes once this war is ended and the, the the kind of the yoke of moscow is taken off from the ukrainians but their intention is certainly to build a liberal democracy uh on this stretch of land and um you know it's it's just that understanding the complexities of ukraine is something that doesn't fit into a A minute forty-five television package, uh, or you know, two minutes or fifteen—it's too complex. And many of the foreign press corps uh, have parachuted in uh, without a a deep understanding of the history that brings us to where we are. And also, in addition to that, the nature of the beast that is the news business means they got to get eyeballs on the screens, or they got to get clicks, or whatever it is. And so they will go inherently to the day-to-day, you know, the, today's explosion. Today, you know, the, we'll go, you know, we'll go visit the refugee center. We'll go to the hospital. We'll go to the front lines, and that gets people to pay attention and, and, and watch. But there's no depth of understanding. It's very important uh, for the American people, in my mind, but not just Americans, but Westerners who are giving so much support for Ukraine. Um, America first and foremost, to understand why it is we got to this place and to understand why the Ukrainians are fighting as fiercely as they are. They've always been colonized by some power or another. They've never had independence in their long history after the basically the Mongol invasion of the 13th century. Um, so, you know, they're. the the lack of of depth of understanding and i am i am a journalist first first and foremost i'm not a i'm not a historian i strongly advise anybody who wants to get a a deeper understanding of the tapestry of ukraine and why we are here is to look up timothy snyder and that snyder s-n-y-d-e-r he's a Historian, he did a series recently that he released on YouTube uh, of the history of Ukraine for, I I believe it was Yale University he did it for. But, um, you know, aside from that, just living here, spending time with the Ukrainian people, getting to know the Ukrainian people and getting to know what their aspirations are and why they're so determined to fight. Um, gives me a depth of a, and living amongst the Ukrainian people, and not living in a, in the Intercon Hotel or right. you know the, the the press corps who kind of keeps itself separate. Um, it, it, there's so much happening here, and there's so much that is being used by other partisan. Uh, interests, whether it's the the right in the states, we're already seeing you know all sorts of stuff from the right about you know making the Ukrainians accountable for the money that we're giving. Well, of course everybody wants that, but you know the war has to be won as well. Right. Or whether you know you see people picking up talking points that come out of Moscow and they're just parroting the exact same thing. I mean the the Nazi narrative in Ukraine is is ludicrous. It's they, uh, yes there are there are far right elements within Ukraine. I would argue that pretty much every country um, has far right elements. It does not. It does not mean that it's okay for Russia to bomb the you know the heck out of uh, right you know schools and hospitals and electrical grid and others and and the being a plurality as ukraine is it's not a monolithic country it's a it's a burgeoning democracy Mm -hmm. there are tons of people who acknowledge that there are nazis within their own country loathe them deeply but in a in a liberal democracy you have the right to hold whatever perverted thoughts you know are in your mind as long as you don't you know act on them and nazis are marginalized here they're not they're not seen as something that they can build their government and uh, their, their culture on. It's just not the case. And if anybody who spouted that kind of um, Kremlin uh, ideology were to come here for just a week, you know, or just a handful of days and get to actually physically know the people on the ground here, get to know the kind of people that are in Ukraine, they wouldn't be able to carry that narrative, but they won't because that narrative Gets them clicks and views, and and you know, and there's there's a there's a vested interest in in pushing that narrative. So that's my that's a very long roundabout way of saying <laughs> what I think the American people are not hearing is basically they're not hearing from the Ukrainians themselves or from somebody on the street level living amongst the Ukrainians who has a depth of history with the Ukrainian people um, and understands that this is this is a a good fight if there is such thing as a good fight this is it and um this war must be won and it must be won by the people that live on the ground in ukraine and then they will build a a, a country that has been denied to them for a very very long time yeah it's interesting you know
0: one of the things that has confused me is that the people here in america that are often talking about the oh uh, the Nazis in Ukraine or whatever, repeating that Russian rhetoric, are the same people who turn a blind eye to the Nazis on their own in their own political party, um, and also the people who used to hate Putin and talk and think Putin was a horrible person, now all of a sudden magically will keep regurgitating his rhetoric. It's, it's, it's baffling to me. That, that that will happen, that that, that, that still heads, happens, that, that, happen, that these exactly people, happen, have that people have done such on a 180 on Putin that,
3: Putin
0: that that, that, it, it's, that, that it, it's to is, me, it's like, it conser- is, it's like one of my friends like will say, my friends cons- say, hypocrisy my say hypocrisy is the conservative prerequisite, which is rather unfortunate. Do you think the West is doing enough to uphold their part of the, quote, bargain for lack of a better word?
2: I, I think they are, by and large. Um, they're, they're providing a lot of arms, a lot of financial support. Uh, you know, they're, It's never going to be enough. And in the, until the war is won, the Ukrainians right. are going to ask for as much as they can possibly get their hands on, because this is really an existential threat for them. It's either, either they win this war or they are, they are subjugated to rule from Moscow. It's really that simple um there are There are elements within it about you know it being a plurality, as I said previously. there are people who align themselves or see themselves closer to to russia that The whole issue out in the Donbass is kind of connected to that, although even that is more layers and subtlety than simply saying they 're kind of leaning towards russia they they 're very much an independent. Uh, a section of the country they don't they they don't want to be controlled by Kiev but you know in many ways they also don't want to be controlled by Moscow it's one of those regions uh, and we've you know there there are regions like this all around the world we have them internally within the states where they just they don't want to be ruled by any they don't want to be dictated to by a federal government anywhere I mean it's it, they want to be kind of almost like an autonomous region um, but. Getting away from Donbass and back to the the larger Ukrainian population as a whole, again it's a plurality. Nobody just because one group or another group, uh, you know, is vocal about something, or maybe you know, because let me put it this way: if because of Char- it's you know if if the Europeans saw Charlottesville and said we have to denazify America and started indiscriminately bombing. Los Angeles or, or, or you know, uh, New York uh, and said, oh, we're doing it because those awful Nazis in Charlottesville. Right. I mean, how would we respond? Right. right. You know, the justification doesn't match the, the reaction by the Russians. Are there Nazis in Ukraine? Yes, there are Nazis in Ukraine. Are they a powerful force within the political establishment here? No, they certainly are not. And they are loathed. By and large, they're I mean, everybody bangs on about, and the Russians love to propagate the idea that this guy, Stepan Bandera, who fought against, they call them, the, they call the, the, what they call the fascists in Ukraine, are Ukrainian nationalists uh, who follow, in many ways, this guy, Stepan Bandera, who fought in the, in the Second World War, is a pretty vile guy. Um, held some really ugly views, but he was first and foremost a, a Ukrainian nationalist. He fought both the Soviets and the Nazis. Um, but they point to him, and I, for some reason, the kind of reactionary left, uh, and we see some of this coming from them, uh, are you know say, oh well, you know Bandera was this Nazi. These Ukrainians follow uh, Bandera, therefore they're Nazis and it's not as easy as all that Bandera's there's history has been manipulated by primarily the Soviets but also in addition to that you have to understand Dan this is really imp- this is another point I think it's really important to understand mm-hmm. and it's this it's that when Ukrainians we, when we hear Ukrainians say I'm a Ukrainian nationalist we get our, our you know the hair stick up on the back here uh, of your arm you know you kinda like you're a nationalist but what the Ukrainians mean when they say I'm a Ukrainian nationalist? I believe there should be a country, a, a nation called Ukraine, which has been denied to them. I w- I really w- and I've spoken to my Ukrainian friends about this. And I said I really wish you guys would find a different. I'm a Ukrainian patriot, not a Ukrainian nationalist. I'm a Ukrainian, you know, um, a, a believer in Ukrainian self determination or something to that effect. Because the Russians are so good at um, at messaging and at gaslighting and at manipulating the narrative because they they study us intrinsically more than anybody else they study the americans and they know that the buzzword of nationalist is a really hot you know that's a that's a warning you know there's a lot of word uh, a lot of uh, weight to that word in our history um, but really what they are is just people who believe that there should be a Ukrainian nation. Um, but the Russians are they're so good at twisting the narrative and getting into people's minds and um, getting them to believe things that just simply aren't true. Um, and the truth of the matter is there are lots of people in Ukraine with lots of different political ideas. It's a plurality of people but they're 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 not nazis no no nazis no far right uh elements have won a seat in the in the parliament currently nobody holds a seat in the parliament that holds beliefs that would even remotely be called uh fascist um you know there's corruption here absolutely there's there are really serious issues that will have to be tackled after the war But if there is no country called Ukraine, which is clearly the stated intent of the Kremlin, then they won't have a shot at trying to build a proper, stable democracy that has a plurality of of elements within it, Um, you know, sadly, which might include Nazis, but it won't be the determinant. Um, Just like there are, look, there are Nazis in, I I spent a lot of time in Great Britain. I'm a British citizen. Uh, i lived in London for many, many years. There's the British National Party. Do we start bombing Manchester or, um, you know, uh, Birmingham or Edinburgh because there are Nazis in some of these backward villages uh, in, in the U.K.? Again, I bring up Charlottesville. I mean, there are Nazis in France. There, are, You know, there are Nazis. There are a lot of Nazis in Russia, but I don't see... You know, I don't see the Russians tackling that internally with, within their own house. Why don't they get their own house in order when it comes to Nazis before they start coming across the border and bombing their, neighborhood, uh, their neighbor? No, this has nothing to do with Nazification or denazification. This has to, everything to do with an imperial power wanting to reestablish its control over its colony, and that's it. Now, is there any,
0: like, with the locals, with what the locals say, is, is there any, like, finality to the war that would include um, Russia not giving back everything
2: it illegally, uh, took, annexed, or whatever?
3: Uh,
2: they're going to, they want everything that was uh, Ukrainian before 2014 so that would include donbass and, and most troublingly uh and, and the thing i think is going to be one of the most dangerous elements is that includes crimea yeah. and it's another another important point to discuss and i'm glad you kind of brought that up and and we can talk about it now is 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 there there are also strategic interests uh, for Russia, aside from its idea of itself as an empire, there's a real strategic reason why they're conducting the war, and that's their naval base in Sevastopol on the on the Crimean Crimean Peninsula. Russia fancies itself a great naval power; it always has strove to be one uh, for centuries, and they don't have access to a warm water port. The best thing that they have for a year-round warm water port is Sevastopol as limited as, as it is because it's in the Black Sea and always has to go through the, the Bosporus. But it's a deep, deep water, warm water port. So they can bring their capital ships, uh, they can bring their subs, and they can refit and uh, re-equip uh, those. So for them, there is a real strategic uh, geopolitical uh, interest in Sevastopol. And... The Russians are going to fight like that uh, fight for that um, real hard because it's a, a full quarter of their naval uh, uh, power. Uh, they have four fleets, four and a half if you include a, um, a flotilla that they have uh, that operates out of uh, Syria, um, but uh, to lose Crimea for them strategically in terms of their naval power, it would be like us losing Diego Garcia um mm-hmm. if, if the americans were to lose their naval base at diego i used to say cuba but it's it's not the same because we we could reinforce cuba from right. the continental us in terms of our naval power but if we were to lose diego garcia um, that would be a very big blow to american military might on the planet and and for the russians losing sevastopol is is a really big blow in terms of their military might so they're going to fight very hard for it but bringing it back to what will Ukrainians accept when it comes to, uh, um, you know, a negotiated peace that might include them not regaining some of that territory. I mean, they might agree to a special status for Sevastopol, but then again, you, in order to do that, you're going to have to have some support line, and would the Russians uh, allow that? The Kerch Bridge is a is a disastrous failure of an engineering project aside from the fact that the Ukrainians struck it. Um, it is, it is ineffectual. It it will not do it, will not support Crimea. One of the main problems with Crimea is their fresh water supply, which is provided to them by the Ukrainians, by the the water that comes out of the river systems uh, and the reservoirs here in Ukraine. Uh, and Crimea is bone dry. It's just not good ecologically. Uh, for for fresh water, so they're going to have to have a lifeline. But would the Ukrainians negotiate a, a, a status for the entire peninsula and give it back to you know give it to Russia? Um, you know, even some would say back to Russia because Khrushchev gave it to the Ukrainians officially. Although, again, another matter of history that's too dense to really go in into. But hey. Crimea has not always been either Ukrainian or Russian. I mean, the Crimean Tatars are really the ones who, who might have the most uh, legitimate claim to that territory. But the Donbass, and then we talk about, we, we, we talk about the, the gains out there in the east uh, where the Russians have um, you know, gained uh, Mariupol to try and create a land bridge coming down to, you know again, much of this war is all about Crimea. So one of their strategic interests was always to try and create a land bridge from um, from Russia down to Crimea to support it, and ergo to support Sebastopol. Um, I I do not see a situation where the Ukrainians are going to let the status quo of the Donbass uh, following the 2014 Maidan events and the invasion by little green men. If you remember back in 2014, right. a bunch of guys just showed up in fatigues with some pretty high-end weaponry, uh, and the Russians just went, oh, "We don't know where they came from." <laughs> Everybody kind of said, "Well, they didn't. They didn't just pop in out of thin air. They're yours." Right. So, you know, Donbass was in many ways instigated by by uh, the Russians. Uh, of course, it's been awful out there for many, many years, and that needs to be concluded one way or the other. The Minsk agreements were never going to do it. All the Minsk agreements were, if you're familiar with the Minsk agreements we were just a, a holding pattern until we could try and maybe figure something out by talking. The Ukrainians were never admittedly, um, uh, uh, they were never wholehearted behind it because neither were the Russians. Neither was anybody. Nobody really supported the Minsky agreement. So this was always going to come to a war. This was a long time coming, and it's grievances that go back centuries. But... A negotiated peace to end this current war, I do not see a situation where the Ukrainian people would accept um, uh, Donbass staying under control of of Moscow directly. Because if if that happens, the only thing that will the only thing that will lead to is a war in another five or ten years. Right. Because eventually the Russians will just they'll they'll go home, they'll lick their wounds. They'll um, rebuild their military uh, to, to take on a foe that they didn't expect was going to be nearly as hard as the Ukrainians have proven themselves to be, and then they'll come back. Uh, this has to be resolved. One way or the other, this has to be resolved and finalized, and Moscow must give up its claims on Ukraine and control over Ukraine. Um, and so we'll, we'll have to see territorial uh you know gains by russia are going to be something that kiev's really reluctant to do because he can't reward russia for its aggression
0: Um, to me
2: to me when i when i at it we're not we're not we're not anywhere we're not anywhere near negotiations right absolutely but when i when people have
0: suggested you know negotiation and i'm like well what do they negotiate if you allow putin if you allow russia to take some land that just teaches teaches them the lesson that they could Invade and and they'll wind up getting land and then they could do it again later as he said um the conservatives who have made this point i've said but well, what happens if russia said oh we don't like the deal that we got long ago for alaska so we're going to go annex alaska and invade it and then they say oh okay well we'll just keep like the northern half of alaska no no single american person especially a conservative, would say, oh, that's fine. No, we want to kick them out of Alaska because it was ours and they should they be able to take it.
2: They should be able to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, obviously.
0: I know a local conservative talk show host down here. I think it was <laughs> the first time that actually shut him up, and he was like, that's a good point. And I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I got him to say it's a good point.
2: Well done, you. Uh, those, yeah. those those uh, minds are very hard to uh, uh to crack sometimes. Um yeah, I mean, look, the, the Ukrainians don't want this war to go on. If anybody in the world wants this war to end, it's the Ukrainians, you know. They're, right. they're they're they hate this war. The deprivations that we're going through right now. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't have any heating in my apartment right now. I'm relying on little electric heating heaters um and you know if the electricity goes off then i switch to candles almost you know i mean it's that that's not fun uh going down into air raid shelters and into the metro system to avoid air raid sirens and potential death i mean that's not fun either knowing that there are people out there um who intend to drive tanks down your streets um the Ukrainians want this war to end, but they they reckon they know their enemy. They know who the Russians are, and if you let the Russians off with a, a win, if you give if there's an advantage for them for having done what they did, they will just come back. And even even if they are pushed out of all territories uh, pre 2014, including Donbass, including Crimea, they also the Ukrainians are aware that the Russians will continue to try and manipulate their political system. Look at Georgia. Look at the Republic of Georgia. The the Georgians had a war against the Russians in 2008. I was there for it. I, I covered it for CBS News. And ostensibly, the Georgians won by surviving. They have two separatist movements within their country that are supported by Moscow. But ostensibly, they survived an onslaught by the Russian military, very small country, in 2008, and there continues to be a country called Georgia. But right. their territory is still occupied, and in addition to that, there has been a non nonstop um, political uh, information warfare campaign conducted against the Georgians, where Tbilisi is now de facto a puppet state of, of Moscow currently, right now. And they would do the same thing in Kiev. They would put a, a lot of people talk about how uh, Zelensky shut down a whole bunch of political parties um, before the war started. Well, you know what? Most of those political parties were just sock puppet organizations created by the Russians to sow dissent to to pursue interests that were not Ukrainian interests, but Russian interests. And, um, you know, it wasn't if, if the... If the Chinese Communist Party were to set up a Chinese Chinese Communist Party third party in the United States and started, you know, uh, uh, having uh, you know selection for a for senatorial candidates and presidential candidates, do you think that America would just sit there and go, oh well, you're clearly operating in good faith, right. you know, I see that you would like us to be a colony of Beijing, but you go right ahead, and if you can get the voter base. You know, come on into the halls of Congress. I right. mean, you know, even the most ardent believer in a uh, in a democratic system in the United States that uh, that is, you know, if, well, if they get the votes, then they deserve to get in. If they can manipulate um, the political landscape and get in, and are openly saying, "No, I'm going to. My interest is not the American people's interest. My interest is the you know, take your foreign power, take your pick." I don't think a lot of Americans would would put up with that. And so, Absolutely why not. would the Ukrainians, when there are Russian political parties openly saying that we should give up our sovereignty and return to the to being a, a in the dominion of, of Russia, they're not acting in good faith. They're not acting in the interest of Ukraine. By and large, you know, most Ukrainians would say that uh, you, know, you know, screw those guys. <laughs> Um, right and it's, and we 're also in, and we 're also in a state of war, so you can 't have a fifth column um, uh, undermining your the unity of the country there 's going to be there will be political fights when this war is over. make no about it no bones about it. There are people who do not like zelensky they don 't like his policies they don 't like his um his actions they don't like the people he surrounds himself with or a number of different things about zelensky that i know a lot of ukrainians are concerned about but right now all of that is put on the back burner until this war is won and then there will be a there will be a democratic process and i wouldn't be terribly surprised if maybe down the road zelensky loses an election a properly held Ukrainian election for president, and he loses. I could see it happening. Churchill was pushed out of office after the Second World War. One would have thought what he did for the, for the Brits in the Second World War would have you know, kept him in power for however long he wanted to be. But no, a, democ- a democracy is a democracy. And you know, I, I see a lot of people, and I apologize, Dan, if, I, if I'm droning on here, but no, go ahead. I see a lot You're of people expert. talking, I'm, I'm talking about Zelensky... You... I'm glad to amplify you, so talk it while you want. <laughs> well, thank you. I very much appreciate it. But I see a lot of people talking about Zelensky and, and sniping at Zelensky. And my response, is, my response ha- has become to that, do you really think the Ukrainians are fighting for Zelensky? Right. I mean, the Ukrainians are happy to have a competent, a guy who stood his ground. I mean, and, and many people here are very happy and think he deserves to be Taj Man of the Year. But the youth, and they're happy that he stood his ground and said, "Don't I don't need a ride? I need ammunition." Uh, they're happy that he he went on a massive PR campaign to every single. Uh, he you know he did teleconferences with the the British Parliament where he talked. You know he he said, "We'll fight him on the beaches. We'll fight him on." He tailored that speech to the Brits. He spoke to the French, the the French and the the Grand Assembly and they and said, you know. We stand for fraternity, you know, equality and, and liberty, you know, the standing uh, tenets of the French Republic. And then when he was teleconferenced in, you know, to the to to Congress, he he talked about all sorts of references to our founding fathers and them throwing off their British imperial um, uh, control. You know, the 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 British imperial. Um, Power that that listed, lived you know existed in 13, thirteen colonies, the man is very good at doing right. that, but but when all is said and done at the end of the war, um, if he gets voted out, he gets voted out, and I suspect strongly that in fact I I, I have very little doubt that he would uh, he would you know acquiesce and, and leave. He would step off the stage. Um, we'll see what happens, but right now. Uh, He is the leader of the country, and so, yes, there are people who are proud of their president and proud of his activities, but the Ukrainians are not fighting for Zelensky. The Ukrainians are fighting for a a sense of self-determination. They're fighting for their families. They're fighting for their kids. The idea that their children will not grow up in a despotic um, uh, environment uh, under the the boot of Moscow. It's really it's it's fundamental as that. So I, I get I get a little confused about all the people who think that they're going to undermining the Ukrainian war effort by sniping at Zelensky. With or without Zelensky, the Ukrainian people are going to fight against the Russians
0: right quick show reset of this liberal band radio talk from the left that's right we are live with philip itner uh from ukraine uh discussing the issues going on with ukraine if you want to support the show please remember to subscribe to the channel like it you can also support the show by becoming a liberal band radio patron patreoncom to band or go to zenmo or buy me a coffee at a complex liberal radio um, one of the things i was thinking about was uh I was very surprised, as, as someone living over here, at, at how well the Ukrainians did. And I was expecting Russia to just roll over, roll them over, because of, everybody has this perception of Russia's this big military, Ukraine unlikely to be able to stand up to it. Um, is the fact is the success um, it, that Ukrainians are having is that more because of they they're just stubborn and just they're just fighting as hard as they can, but harder than people expected, or is there a level of ineptness coming from the Russian side, or is it some of column A and column B, or is it something else completely?
2: Well, certainly, I think, uh, a little bit of column A and column B, it well, I think, uh, and column B um, but it, there's more to it than that. Um, firstly, the Ukrainians knew this was going to happen, and they have been preparing for it for a very long time. Um, pardon me. Um, uh, certainly since 2014. I mean, I, I've been coming here, as I say, for 21 years, so I've seen Ukraine even before 2014. But after 2014, there was a constant thought in the, in the minds of many Ukrainians that they're, they're, the, the Russians will come, that this is not just about Donbass. Uh, it's not just about Crimea. They want to destroy us. They will come. Again, they know their enemy as well as anybody on the planet. So they did things like rotating units. Every single territorial guard, which is kind of like our National Guard, has been rotated through Donbass to at least be in an environment where they heard shots being fired in anger and actually were in a form of combat. And they did that on purpose because they knew eventually they'd have to have their entire military ready um, to, to do war fighting. That kind of mentality, the mentality that this is going to come and we had better prepare for it is something I don't think the Russians took into consideration. And then secondly, you know, they've they've the Ukrainians have built up their military. They've built up the defenses. Um, mm-hmm. They've they've prepared their population for this inevitability. Uh, the, you know, the Ukrainians by and large knew that it was going to happen. So there was. A lot of that going on, and then counterpose that with a lot of Russian arrogance, corruption, um, and and ineffectuality when it comes to fighting wars. I mean, the Russians um, talk a good game when it comes to fighting wars, and everybody kind of likes to point out uh, their victories throughout throughout history, most notably the Second World War. But that was the USSR against the Nazis, and Ukraine it was a huge part of the USSR. Right. So and then again also Dan I go back to history where I talk about um the 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 Bolshevik revolution and the civil war that happened at the, uh, in the in you know first part of the 20th century in 1919 r- roughly um after the collapse of of uh, Tsarist Imperial Russia a lot of countries that were controlled by them broke away and then Lenin reestablished and brought them back into heel. And most notably, first and foremost, the, the first place that they went after was here in Ukraine. There was a little, there was a war which very little, you know, few people talk about. There was a war between Russia and and Ukraine uh, in 1919. The only reason why the Russians won it, by the way, in no small part, um, was by subterfuge. They they bribed a bunch of uh, Ukrainian uh, military leaders to betray their country. Um, and that's kind of how they won that war. But then the poles stopped the the, the Soviets. Subsequently, they've been they have the Russians have try have lost this territory and regained regained it as they've gone through their various revolutions, whether it was the collapse of the imperial czarist Russia system or the Soviet system. They've they've lost Ukraine and then recovered it in the past. And the Ukrainians knew it; they knew they were coming, so they prepared for it um but the um the the russians are not as they're not as formidable a fighting force clearly as we thought they were and now part of that is also the, because vladimir putin has built a kleptocracy and right. skimming off the top is just kind of how it's standard operating pre- procedure in russia i lived in i lived in russia for 5 years back in the tail end of of the Yeltsin era and the beginning of the putin era um And have been going to Russia for many years and it's built on kleptocracy so their military was ill-prepared to take on a military that as a counterbalance there is a counter uh, to that uh, military system which had been hobbled by uh, kleptocracy and and all the rest of it these guys on the other hand were were making their military into a, a finely tuned machine because they knew that, that at one point they were going to have to fight the Russians. So, um, again, it's it's a bit of column A, column B, mixed in with um, if you knew if, if if these you know these two enemies know each other very well. The the Russians have a bit of arrogance when it comes toward the Ukrainian. I think that may have played into it as well. I think the the, the Russians you know historically have always thought as Ukraine is their kind of. A backwater country with a they just farms and maybe a few factories. It's a—it's a real arrogant attitude towards the, the Ukrainians. You look at like, they're like Soviet, basically like um,
0: they, they are West Virginia or something. That's how they saw them.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's—it's it's really condescending if you look at like uh, uh, Soviet depictions of. The, there are all sorts of these like brotherly Soviet republics and all these like animations to teach kids. And it's a great way to, to get into the Russian mindset is to watch some of these old like 60s, 70s, even 80s kind of educational animation films about who we are in the great Soviet uh, of, of different Soviet republics, the, the USSR. And they always depict Ukrainians as these kind of like very pure, innocent um guys that go around and they farm and they and they, they they've got factories and you know they're but they're really this little you know they're the little Slav you know they they're one of the problems that moscow has all they had is that they think they're the ones who gets to be the arbiter of what it is to be slavic and so they impose their impression of what it is to be ukrainian On Ukrainians. And they're they're getting a rude awakening that they're not just docile farmers and kind of a backwater border state, European slash Russian state, that in fact they have a very strong sense of identity and that um, uh, one thing they often overlook because they like to absorb it into their own history is that they also ignore the fact that this is the country of the Cossack and the the legacy of the cossack is alive and well in ukraine you see all these haircuts that uh, many ukrainian soldiers are wearing nowadays it's kind of like buzz cut thing that's a cossack haircut and the cossacks were a fierce tribe of um of warriors um all throughout this kind of stretch of european territory and they were fierce fighters and the and the ukrainians have harkened back to them and um boy they just they're they're fighting so incredibly hard, uh, and um, once again, I think maybe Russia seriously underestimated their neighbor, thinking they knew them better than they did.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I I do think that that's clear. I just didn't want to you know make any assumptions because I'm over here and you're over there. So, um, so what other you know misconceptions, like uh, do Americans have about what's going on, or what what other, do other things do you think that. that you know people over here should really know that they don't know like I mean even know if there's some there might be so much where we can't talk about it all day but it' you know maybe some of the other top ones that that we should be knowing about what's going on or, or sure. what
1: we can do
2: well I think I think one of the things that we also have to keep in mind is that um, the, this is a this is a country that's going through a very rocky period in its evolution uh, and it 's a very dangerous and risky period. this transition of being a in essence a colonial territory controlled by Moscow into a self sustaining um, functioning liberal democracy and so let 's not wear rose tinted glasses when it comes to ukraine yes they 're fighting for an idea yes they 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 have purpose and cause and determination um but they also have very serious issues within their country that are going to have to be addressed uh after the war and even during this war um we we can't turn a blind eye to the fact of, of corruption or infiltration by uh Russians who who you know uh you know come in with with suitcases of cash sort of thing and uh and get people to turn against their own country I and mean, we see these arrests in the Russian Orthodox Church, which is kind of bubbling away under the surface of the narrative of this war. And I suspect it might hit uh, critical mass within the next week or two. You might very well see, be seeing on Fox News them talking about, you know, Zelensky being anti-religion and going after the Russian Orthodox Church. Well, they're going after the Russian Orthodox Church because they've been supporting Moscow. <laughs> Right. Um, you know, uh, so, the you know, their priests and in their monasteries and their cathedral are, you know, keeping money and in some place, you know, propaganda. I don't think that any arms have been found, to my knowledge, but, you know, it's they're giving support to Russia. Uh, they're not going, you know, the, uh, the Ukrainian authorities are not anti-religion. They're a very religious country, but they just don't want somebody who's operating uh, out of um, you know, out of malice and not in good faith, um, but there's there's going to be an issue with um, corruption uh, that will be something that needs to be discussed. The um, they're going to go through a lot of um, uh, U.S. and Western uh, military uh, supplies. It's it's going to be a strain. I think it's important. Uh, I think it's also important to. As we move forward, um, this is going to be very difficult for Ukraine, but the Ukrainians are so far from losing any resolve. The, the, the difficulty in the war weariness does not mean that they aren't resolved to win this war. They're going to get through this winter, um, but it's going to be hard. So uh, what else What else to keep an eye on, Dan? I, you know, there's, there's an awful lot. But at the end of the day, just know that this is not a perfect country. Um, it is a country that's going, it has major hurdles that it's going to have to overcome. But it can't deal with those issues if it's if it's colonized, if it's if it's taken under um, the yoke of, of Moscow. It's just it won't ever get a chance to be something if it if that happens yet again in its history, as it's happened so many times. But that doesn't mean that this place is, you know, idyllic and, and, and ready to go as soon as the war ends. No, there's there's real problems here, and they need to be addressed. Um, so you know, this isn't this isn't a perfect country, but it's a country that uh, is on the right side of things and um, just really does want to be its own its own nation, and uh, we should, I think, support that. I mean, what you're saying clearly makes I mean, yeah, they might have growing pains if they are
0: a free nation, but if Russia doesn't allow them to be a free nation, there can't be growing pains because they won't be able to grow.
3: So.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, the, look, the Russians are going to continue to strike at us in the information warfare uh, realm, and they're going to be putting out narratives, and they're going to be trying to chip away at support for Ukraine, and they may even have times when stories come out where it's the the Ukrainians make a mistake, or there's a blunder, or a rogue element, or you know something goes wrong on the battlefield, um, and, and a, a war crime is, is committed. Let's say a, a Ukrainian unit uh, goes out there and does something it shouldn't do. Um we can't we cannot absolve the Ukrainians. We cannot just say we support the Ukrainians no matter what. Right. But know that the Russians are going to be fomenting um dissent against Ukraine. They're going to be putting out all sorts of narratives that will be picked up by a lot of either useful idiots, the old KGB term, or by people who have really malice and intent and would like a narrative of you know a, a a powerful russia because that will be a counterbalance to to america and a lot of people don't like america being the dominant power on the planet this is not the time to discuss that in full but right. a lot of people do support russia um they shouldn't uh and they certainly shouldn't in this war this was this a lot of russians don't like this war either let's not forget about that Russia is not a, 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 a you know a unified single entity uh, mindset. There's plurality in Russia as well, and lots of people don't like this war. Um, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Ukrainians are on the right side of this, and the Russians are gonna they're gonna try and break the resolve because they know that as long as the world is unified be- behind Ukraine. Um, Ukraine will continue to fight and have the weapons in their hands and able to do it. If the West and the world, here's the other sad part of it, Dan, and I, I you know, suspect we're, we're drawing to the end of your show, but you know, the other sad aspect of it is this. Let's say that the, the, the Western resolve is fractured. Let's say that the West suddenly decides that their commitment to Ukraine is too much for them to bear and they with, withdraw that support. And that support ebbs away and russia is able to gain on the battlefield we the ukrainians will not stop fighting this is their last best chance at having their own country they will fight they will fight as long as they possibly can uh, everybody who is capable of fighting will fight because they know the consequence of losing so we will if we withdraw support from Ukraine, and it's unacceptable, untenable. There will not be a negotiated peace. The West doesn't influence Ukraine into a negotiated peace, which, you know, again we already talked about that. But if the West withdraws its support, Ukraine will not stop fighting, and so we will have to sit and watch as you as Russia. Boy, there's no nice way of saying this. There's no easy way of saying this, but we will have to if we take our attention and our support away from the ukrainians we will watch the ukrainians defend themselves on their lonesome and russia will rape this country it's mm-hmm. a gruesome way of putting it but it is what they do we have seen their we have seen the way they conduct warfare in places like bucha and erpin uh, in Mariupol, and there's no reason to think that they would do anything but if the ukrainians continue to put up resistance uh without western support which right. they will do
1: all right so quick some so quick stuff from that's the chat. Our choice.
2: Um, that's our choice yes
0: yeah. yeah that is our choice and i think it's an easy choice but unfortunately politics comes into play um we have penny loco in the chat wanted me to say hello to you um so hello, hello from, um let's see we had uh nick asked if
2: you've considered doing your own youtube live stream I would consider doing my own YouTube live stream if I could if I could figure it out <laughs> if I could get it worked out in the nuts and bolts of it. Um yeah, sure. Absolutely. I I'm I'm very close to my thousand subscriber. I think that might have something to do with my ability to live stream or not. I'm not a I'm well, not very, I don't, I don't I, have a
4: thousand yet. I, so I, said, I don't
2: have a
0: thousand yet. I'm working on it too, but you can live stream without it, you just can't get monetized with without a
2: thousand, so Right, I thought that. I, I I get that, but again, I've spent most of my pro- my professional career working in in network news, uh, and so I never had to kind of um, create something out of nothing. It was always there was right. always an infrastructure for me to work within. So uh, this is kind of new for me. But I well, I'm always I to reach it out and need some pointers about how to get things up. You know, I may
0: take you up on that. I have no problem helping with that. Um, Tucker John asks. Um, if Putin needs to somehow save face in order to end of this war, do you think it's
2: possible at this point?
3: Uh,
2: I mean, he might be able to if he can negotiate some sort of settlement for Sevastopol, which is really, you know, what the what the Russians uh, want, and they he might be able to ostensibly, on a very cosmetic level, get a win and then and then walk away, and the Russians. Give him that win, but he's living on borrowed time. He, he, it's this was catastrophic for him, and, and even if he does save face temporarily, everybody's going to know that this was this was a horrible defeat for him. Um, right. His his uh, his agreement. Again, I was in Moscow and I saw the rise of, of Vladimir Putin and the and the end of the Yeltsin era. His uh, his uh, agreement. His um, his uh, 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 how we call it? His um, contract with the Russian people was: you don't have to worry about politics. Let me do that for you. What I will do is I will make sure that things are stable. That yeah, there'll be corruption, but the, it's the kind of corruption you can live with. It won't be the chaos of the immediate post-Soviet era. I will bring you stability. I will bring you a, a place where you can, you know, just let the politics be cared about by someone else because they do not have a democracy in Russia. Right. And what has happened now is that he has broken that contract. He has made things far more worse for people internally within Russia. He has launched a disastrous war, which is costing the country both in young men and in um, supplies and, and, and uh, you know, and wealth capital uh he's he's in trouble he is in real real trouble and uh we'll have to see what happens but um there's no way short of the the, the fortunes of war making a very swift uh change in his direction where he gets out of here uh, with with any real support that that will last much longer and, you know he's not he's not as young as he used to be. maybe he would find a way to gracefully exit from from rush- from the russian uh scene, but that you know given russia's history that that doesn't go well oftentimes so um i mean in the in the short term, he might be able to find some sort of negotiated piece where he saves some face in the long term he's done he's done this 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 is it for him. Um, It might be he might walk away from this war and a year or two down the road, he is, you know, somebody else replaces him uh, or it might be 10 years. But ultimately, uh, he goes no further uh, when eventually he loses this war, which I do believe is an inevitability.
0: um, Tim brings up something I actually wanted to bring up. Uh, We've seen that uh, that there was a strike uh, inside uh, Russia and I'm assuming that was from Ukraine uh, is that. Is that good or is that bad or different
2: or what's going on with that? Well, I think as long as the Ukrainians and Western powers um, continue to reiterate that it had nothing to do with us, we did not give the Ukrainians any kind of weapon system that allowed them to strike that deep within Russia. Um, And by so doing, it's a very thin line, but that line is really important that it is not a direct conflict Although the Russians already kind of think it is they might not be wrong but if we start giving them uh, Missile systems that can strike, you know into Russia and they start using it, you know, if we right. give them the attackums, uh, for their HIMARS and if indeed the HIMARS are able to shoot, you know 500 600 miles into into Russia um that that will be a new phase of war because the, the Russians might very well say, well, screw it, we're at war with NATO. We might as well start trying to open up different fronts, um, the Baltics, for example. Um, but as long as it's the Ukrainians themselves developing wef- weapon systems that they create here on their own, um, it's tough luck. I mean, you've been bombing – uh, the electrical grid, you've been bombing civilians, you've been burning down villages, Russia. Can you really have a leg to stand on if, if the Ukrainians shoot at airfields from whence bombers are coming here almost on the daily to bomb civilians? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's a very weak argument on the Russian right side. So I don't I, – they'll – now, look, I, I know the Russians very well, and it may not matter. The logic of the argument is not the important thing. The important thing is we're big, strong Russia. You're little puny Ukraine. How dare you shoot a couple of cruise missiles or drones at us when we've been having a a brutal campaign against you for 10 months? We can do that. You're not allowed to, you know, that kind of mentality. They may, whether or not that's logical or not, the Russians take that position. And they may call for, you know, much more stringent attacks, although they – I don't know if the capacity is even there anymore for the Russians. So is it going to change anything that the Ukrainians are shooting into, into Russia? I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it might make the Russians more angry, but there's not a lot they can do to stop it.
0: Fair enough. Okay, is there anything else you want
2: to throw in and add uh, before we end the show? No, but it's a great opportunity to talk, and I appreciate you letting me air this stuff out, uh, because as I said at the very beginning, when we started talking, I think one of the major issues that we have in the States is a lack of depth of understanding of what's happening here. This is not a war against NATO. This is not a denazification. This is Russia trying to reassert control over a country that it's had in its palm, uh... in its grip for centuries and they don't like you know when the brits lost uh... not even india let's say ireland you know one mm-hmm. of their crown jewels in their colony one of their first colonies in a place that they thought was fundamentally british well the irish had a different opinion and they were on the right side of history there when the algerians said to the french empire we don't want to be part of your empire anymore it was hard for the french to swallow that recognition that they were no longer an empire but eventually they did. Russia has to go through that same process. It has to accept the fact that it cannot control Ukraine anymore, that Ukraine is refusing to be part of its empire, and they're just gonna have to be big boys and put on their big boy pants and accept that the empire is is no more. Um, And we have to have the depth of understanding of what's happening here and the fact that this has been going on for centuries if we're ever really going to tackle what's, what's happening, and you're not going to see that in a two-minute CNN, right? Race. Um, so, I appreciate the opportunity to to talk and uh, really dive deep into some of this stuff. I highly recommend people uh, watch the Tim- Timothy Snyder uh, series of lectures about Ukraine and the Ukrainian history for Yale University. But moreover, I just I urge everybody not to take the superficial narrative that is being put up because those, those superficial narratives are really easy to manipulate. And that's what the the Kremlin is counting on. Get to know if you have the time and you're so inclined, get to know the history of this place and the complexities of it. And and you will understand why this is a long time coming. This is something that has been brewing for a long time and has a very long history with us. whole tapestry of events and people and all the rest of it but um you know this isn't this isn't one thing or another um if there is one thing that it is it's simply a country trying to eke out self-determination and as americans i think we should support that
0: absolutely 100 percent agree um our our lovely mod uh, uh, Joey and Aaron have shared oh, links to both so your they're Twitter they're and your YouTube, YouTube channel. Is there
2: and any other way that the people listening and or watching and, uh, can and uh, support you? No, that, that's it. But I do appreciate the uh, folks coming on, and I'm going to try and be more proactive with that YouTube stuff. But it's I'm just here all my lonesome self. It's just me. So um, I, I I have a uh, old, old uh, what's the old say you know old dogs and trick and new tricks. Right. Um, Uh, I, I'm trying to recreate what I used to do for network television. And it's just, it doesn't work on, uh, on YouTube, even though I give myself as much running time as I would like, it's, it's just a different beast. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and get more content out there.
0: Well, that sounds good. I mean, I would love to do this, you know, maybe a monthly thing, maybe more so if you want, whatever you want to do, you're welcome to come back anytime.
2: All right. Great, Dan. Thanks for the time.
0: right. Thank you very much. You have a you stay safe and you have a great rest of your day. I will. Thank you, Dan. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and thank you everybody else for joining us on this uh, later edition, the special episode of Liberal Dan Radio Talk from the Left That's Right uh, with Philip Bittner, And hopefully, we will be able to do this, uh, make this a monthly thing or more often if any big news kind of breaks. Um, I uh, will be um, doing another. I was a live stream on my twitch channel twitch.tv slash nerdydan.com i'll be doing that um tomorrow night at some point uh just follow my twitter and and uh twitter channels for both the nerdydan.com and liberaldan.com i'll put those after you know while the end music is playing um so i'll do that just a minute as well um We'll be back again on Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central at the normal time. Get you you to your eyes out for videos and companies that are Talk with some other important as well. And Radio.
1: your Is yeah, where I am, yeah. am now. Um, this statue of land where empires have
3: over
0: there and and a light norm and there. I what we're uh, not hearing about uh, over here. In the
1: what needs to be known though is not already being known. So um, what are some of mm-hmm. the things that uh, have you've have you seen from um, like United States coverage yeah. of what's going on over there that you aren't seeing that, you that should be that. that? I
2: think fundamentally, and first and foremost, the lack of any context, the lack of any Understanding of the complexity of this country. Um, certainly, I don't see that in broadcast news, uh, and even really in print, uh,
1: although there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions on broadcast, uh, on the broadcast side as well. But by and large, the foreign press doesn't understand Ukraine. Um, the, 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 deep, the deep, deep, deep history uh, that has brought us to this point, uh, this war, this war, It was the night before Christmas when all through the land News smooth its viewers of a pastor's plan. The liberals were launching their war on the season to get rid of Christmas and commit acts of treason, removing decorations out of their sight and telling you that Santa and Jesus ain't white. Environmentalists will come right after your soul. They hate only Christmas, especially the cold. They'll sneak into your house all dressed in their flannel and instead give the bad kids some new solar panels they will take up all decorations that please us. we even go after tiny baby Jesus. And all these boxed lines cause such a frustration. Who would save us all from this misinformation? When live from the net there came lots of chatter. Could it be old Saint Nick? Or perhaps someone fatter? Broadcasting from New Orleans down in Louisiana. It was none other than Liberal Dan. Coming to save the holiday season, busting through their lives with facts, logic and reason. I <laughs> can't do it myself, he explained called other groups, each one by name, on Christians, on Muslims, on Wiccans, on Jews, on Hindus, on Buddhists, and atheists, too. Let's all spread the word and tell them, indeed, that there's no war on Christmas, just one on greed. So instead of joining this manufactured fight, listen to Liberal Band Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. I've been using for the last few years, coming from school
4: college college, writing essays, projects, positions, and now that I'm no longer in school, I- Doesn't feel so good getting interrupted, does it, Punky Brewster? You know, quite frankly... Frankly, you really hurt my feelings last week. I extended out my hand like
3: a gentleman.
4: And you really heard my yellow you know, bad me. It was almost as bad as the time you quit, with your ball, and went home like a little bitch. Yeah, my god so good man, I respect everything you've done, but I even respect the fact that you're straight-edge. Granted, never in my wildest dreams could I have possibly imagined a straight-edge man could look so much like a meth addict. And it must be extremely difficult to be straight-edge, considering if I had your face. I need to down eight shots of whiskey just to look myself in the mirror. But you know what I can respect? CM.
2: It's how you handle our little
4: situation here, and you can pretend there isn't one, but uh, there is. There is. You know, you would do all your quaint little interviews, and they would ask you who are the opponents you would like to go up against, and you would name every single wrestler underneath the sun. Except for moi. Now, you can pretend it's because you weren't interested, but in reality, it's because you didn't want none. And who can blame you, punky? I mean, your whole entire career on the stick. You've been big fish, small pond, and standing across from me. You're just a freaking minnow. You didn't want to go talk to me on a stick, punk? Well, too bad. Because I'm about to verbally finish you quicker than your UFC free. Heard you the first time. So check your watch while we'll i talk because talking and the music's to record! time? It'll stay out of time. You can drop two little pipe bombs all you want. Cause I'm MJF and I trust. To me, that's what a proper young man is supposed to do to their elders. And I had no idea your first name was Maxwell this entire time. I thought MJF stood for My Jealous Fan. See, I got
3: the time.
4: Seems like it It still kinda does, doesn't it, if you're so hung up on the fact that I never mentioned you anytime I did press. Anytime I ever did an interview, I never brought your name up. Well, that was by design. The last thing I wanted to do is squeeze your rock little ego. Look at me, Maxwell. I'm in your head. Probably has a lot to do with the fact that there's a poster of me on your wall. Doesn't change the fact that I'm disappointed. Because I've always heard about the great MJF. And then last week, I did what nobody else in this industry, nobody else in AEW has been able to do.